Hi, my name is Pastor Tony Garbarino of Providence Presbyterian Church. We're delighted that you tuned in to hear a message from God's Word. If you'd like to find more information about us, please go to providencefw.org, providencefw.org. We seek to be Bible-based, gospel-saturated, and Christ-centered. So please enjoy now this message. Thanks for coming. Heavenly Father, we come again before you. We give you praise and thanks for this, your word, that it is perfect and it is complete. We thank you that you have revealed yourself to us. You have shown us all that we need to know for life and godliness. We ask that you would help us, Father, to believe it, to base our lives upon it, that it would continue to comfort us, and Lord, that we would find comfort as we hear it. We pray all this in the name of Jesus, our Lord, the very light of the world, and we all as your people sit together. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> 2 Corinthians 8, let me read verses 8 to 15. Paul continues and he says, I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. And in this manner I gave my judgment. This benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now finish doing it as well, so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need, so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. So far the reading of God's <clears throat> word, may he indeed add his blessing upon it as we hear it expounded now. Well, I recall a few years ago, a number of years ago now, one of the TV preachers in the news, and he was in the news because he was trying to raise funds for a project. It wasn't to help the poor or to build a shelter or to feed the needy. It was to buy a, a new private jet, um, only $65 million. Of course, we hear this, and this is reflexively gross and immoral to most of us. And we wonder how people can justify these kind of things. It's important that when we read and interpret God's word, that we do so properly and responsibly. As we've said throughout, uh, throughout my time here, really, um, God's word, we, we believe in sola scriptura, but also tota scripture, right? All of scripture has to come to bear on the things that we believe and understand about any particular passage. Our passage today is particularly misused and abused. Um, it's grossly handled by... Uh, the aforementioned charlatans and swindlers. Um, but how should we think about our giving and about charity in general? Well, chapters 8 and 9 here in 2 Corinthians gives us that. It's a discussion about giving, about charity. And Paul uh, speaks to the Corinthians about an offering that's being taken to help the poor in Jerusalem. Uh, one way we can assess and respond to unbiblical, inappropriate manipulation that we see is to work through what Paul actually says about charity, about giving. And in this passage, we read of an offering that's being taken 
in the Gentile churches for the struggling Jewish Christians in Jerusalem. This offering is of significance for a number of reasons, right? And what Paul is getting at. The first reason is that the situation that's going on there, right? There's a serious famine in that area causing serious suffering. The famine was particularly hard on the Jews who had become followers of Christ. There's this tension between the church in Jerusalem and the Sanhedrin, right? You remember the Sanhedrin, the Jewish ruling body or court of the time. The Jews who publicly professed Christ would have particularly been ejected from the synagogue for doing so. And in so doing, they were cut off from the synagogue, and they were cut off from the charity of the synagogue. This, tent, this was very serious uh, for this time. It's very serious in times like famine, shortages of food, right? It would have left them with no charity, no grain, no food, no help. And so it was a crisis for those in need there. And the second reason this offering was so important had to do with the message that it sent to those in Jerusalem, right, to the Sanhedrin as well. Uh, this offering from the Gentile churches would have been a powerful testimony to them about the truth of the gospel. It would have been uh, so also to Herod, right, remember Herod Agrippa, the ruler of the area uh, installed by the Romans. This offering you see, would also have been a powerful display of Christian love and charity to the persecuted and struggling Jewish Christians there in Jerusalem. It would have fed many people. And it also would have been powerful evidence to that church, the church in Jerusalem, about the spread of the gospel, the transforming power of the gospel across the globe. It would have been a major witness to unbelieving Jews as well. It would have been an even greater impact among those in that church, the, the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem. Uh, and you'll, you'll recall also that these Christians were skeptical about the church's mission to the Gentiles. They initially were not comfortable with that. They didn't understand it. The grace of God, the blessing of God, going out to those who are not God's people, right, in their minds. And an offering like this would have gone a long way to heal this issue between the Jewish Christians uh, in Jerusalem and to the Gentiles, the Gentile church. Gentile Christian, um, Gentile charity for Jewish Christians, right, would have been a, a massive display of Christian unity, of what it was to be one in Christ, as Paul told, talked about in his previous letter. We can't forget the fear and suspicion that existed and that was lingering at the time as well, right? You recall in the book of James, the letter to James, uh, James's letter, there were wealthy landovers, landowners who were taking advantage of Jewish Christians who were suffering from religious persecution. They couldn't find work. There was no charity for them in the synagogue. People were going hungry. At the same time, the church was facing hostility again, both from the Sanhedrin, right, unbelieving Israel, and the Romans, right, the pagan Gentiles. It was a very difficult time. It was difficult for those Jewish Christians to accept the fact that indeed God was sending the gospel to the Gentile world where the response to the message of Christ was overwhelming, frankly. And these were very hard times and that Jerusalem church was in dire need. And this, this offering, this charity given to them would have been a great encouragement for them and a confirmation of God's work throughout the world. Now, having understood this, kind of the context of what's going on, we see here, we want to look regarding this collection being taken for these starving Christians in Jerusalem. The collection of this offering takes up, uh, it's the central theme, it's the, 
overall theme of the cha of chapters eight and nine, as I said. It's a large section, it's a large passage. Um, we can't look at everything there, but we can see at its core that this passage is rooted and focused on Christ's humility and sacrifice, right? The center core is Christ's humility and sacrifice, and that his complete giving of himself for his people is the ground for all of our giving. You see a rough outline, or an outline in the back of your, um, your handout there, your liturgy. Uh, we see a handful of things, the way this breaks apart. We see the example of the Macedonians in verses 1 to 7, and then the example of Christ in verses 8 and 9, and then the remainder to the end of nine, uh, chapter 9 is an exhortation for giving. But we begin in, in verse 1 of chapter 8, in Paul's discussion about generosity and charity, uh, with this example of the Macedonians. Paul's made the point that Christianity and paganism cannot mix, right? They're unmixable, we saw. Uh, they're very little in common with each other. In this paganism that the Corinthians have come out of influences their, their thinking, influences their understanding of what charity is. Most first century religions there taught that when you needed something from one of the deities, you went to the temple, you asked for what you wanted, and then you offered a sacrifice. Right? The sacrifice was usually a gift given and used by the priest to maintain the temple. But Paul points out that Christian charity is not founded upon this pagan understanding of charity, this belief of giving to get, right? giving to get, nor is uh, that God can be bribed by our gifts and sacrifices. Right? We'll see in chapter 9, verse 5, he uses this word exaction, right? not given for exploitation or a gift expecting something in return. Right? It's not giving to get, it's not to bribe and to get something uh, by our sacrifices. And so Paul goes on and he says, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches in Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Right? The new churches in Macedonia were struggling greatly. They were not affluent. They didn't have leftover just to give out. But even so, they gave generously to this offering that Paul was, was gathering for the Jewish uh, church in Jerusalem. And for Paul, this generosity is what? It's a fruit of, it's a, or a manifestation of God's prior grace to the Macedonians. Right? The gospel had set them free from the darkness of paganism and set them free from the guilt of their sins. And so they are grateful for all that God had done for them. And although Macedonians, they were struggling, they gave generously, right? They gave all that they could. And Paul says in verses 3 to 5, for they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord, begging earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints, right? Begging earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. In this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Right? Paul is surprised and he's pleased at this church's generosity. And though they were in need themselves, they saw a genuine need and they were compelled to help. And notice how Paul puts it. He says that these, these uh, Christians had given themselves to the Lord. And this naturally flowed, right? It flowed into giving themselves to others as they followed their Savior, as they copied Christ in their lives. 
And then Paul says in verse 6, Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he started, so he should, com- uh, so he should complete among you this act of grace. Right? And here we start to see Paul contrasting this con- contrast he makes between Christian charity, right, which is a response to the grace which God has shown to his people in the cross of Christ, a contrast between that and pagan charity, giving money to pacify an angry God or to gain something, giving to get. The church there in Macedonia was suffering. The Corinthian church was well off. But there were struggles in Corinth. We read about in the beginning of 1 Corinthians, uh, the early chapters. Paul speaks of hardships facing the Corinthians. We don't know exactly what that was. But we know that Paul asked the Corinthians to put themselves and their spiritual gifts to use because of this urgent need in Jerusalem. Their brothers and sisters in Christ were suffering. And especially in light of the generosity that this poor church in Macedonia, uh, in, in that area, were giving. And he says in verse 7, But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. Right? What is he saying? He's saying, be generous to those who are suffering. And of course, this all we, you know, comes back, we have to think, uh, what about us? You know, what about us, you and I here this morning? Does our giving and serving flow from the inside out, right? Not out of guilt, not out of force, but from the inside out, from hearts that have tasted the love and mercy and grace of Christ our love. Indeed, he is the Lord of our life. Are we giving to, in, to get in ways that we have not considered? May we indeed be sensitive about the absolute claim on our lives by our King. May our hearts respond in joy and generosity that meets the measure of His love and the work of His Spirit within us. And then Paul goes on, and for emphasis and for clarity, he says in verse 8, he gives the example, in verses 8 and 9, the example of Jesus. Right? He goes from Macedonia to Christ, and he says, I say this, this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. Again, Paul doesn't want the Corinthians acting like the pagans, giving to get. Nor does he want them to give out a sense of guilt. But he does want to see those who are the people of God, who are Christ's. He wants them to show that they truly grasp that the recipients of God's love and grace should be the first people to respond when needs like famine arises. Christian charity is voluntary. And the blessings of giving are profound, as Paul will go on to show us. In verse 9, Paul takes the Corinthians back to Christ, back to the gospel, in this glorious passage that we're all familiar with. He grounds it all in the gospel, right? It's all about the gospel. He says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Right? What a wonderful, wonderful passage. It says, quite literally, it says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that for your sake he became poor, rich though he was, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Right? Tragically, this is another verse that's regularly taken out of its context by many prosperity gospel types. You know them, you've heard them. Uh, you're, you're not unfamiliar with this error that we see so often, like the man trying to raise all that money for a private jet. They say that Paul teaches that Jesus died for our lack of wealth. Right? How disgusting is that? He died, that's our sin, our lack of wealth. 
right? So that we might become wealthy, right? The material blessings of being a Christian. And again, I can't express in stronger terms how horrifying and wrong and disgusting and really damaging that is, the kind of teaching. This passage has nothing to do with our prosperity, but with Christ's humiliation, right? I don't mean humiliation in the way that we use it in our common way of speaking. I mean humiliation in, in the sense that we read a few weeks ago um, in question and answer 27 of our shorter catechism, right? In his incarnation, taking on flesh, he humbled himself, taking a true human nature to live in a sin-riddled world and then live a life of perfect obedience to God's law, to suffer and die for our sins and to be raised from the dead. Right? This is part of his humiliation. There are several parallel passages in Paul's letters. Right, We read a few chapters ago in 2 Corinthians 5. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin. Right? That's his humiliation. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And then in Galatians 4, 4 and 5, we read similarly. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Philippians 2, you'll probably mind is going there, is perhaps the chair passage for this doctrine, this understanding, the explanation of all that God has done in Jesus Christ. It's very helpful here. Philippians 2, starting at verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he made himself nothing taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Right? Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father." As we follow Jesus, we become servants of one another. Right? How profound is that? How glorious is that? Right? We are the body of Christ together. How, how profound. Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, eternal God, came to earth to save us from the guilt and power of our sins. In his incarnation and on the cross, we see the grace of God fully manifested. And in the death of Jesus, we see how the richest of the rich, it has been said, became the poorest of the poor to save us from our sins. And in his resurrection from the dead, we see him exalted, right? Humiliation and exaltation. We see him exalted to the right hand of God and given the name that is above every other name. Jesus did all of this for us, right? In our place, he's our substitute, None of us did anything to earn or merit this great, generous grace. This is what Paul is pointing us to. Right? And grasping this fact is where Christian charity and giving begin. It's the gospel. This is the ground. It's the grounding and the foundation of Paul's exhortation for giving. His exhortation for giving. You see, for Paul, he doesn't reinstitute the Old Testament laws, system, he doesn't reinstitute the Old Testament tithe or even refer to it. Why? The Gentiles would know nothing of the Old Testament laws. 
They weren't steeped in the Old Testament. Rather, he tells them, Christ gave everything, his life unto death for his people. Therefore, act accordingly. Right? See who you are, Christians. Now be who you are. And then in verse 12, he says, For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. He's telling them that everything we have comes to us from a gracious and merciful God who owns everything. The Corinthians are to give what they give in light of what they already have and have been blessed with. And although Paul urges the Christians, the Corinthians to show charity to others, he does not use uh, guilt or manipulation in asking for help. He does not pressure them to give anything. He simply informs them of the need in Jerusalem and he reminds them of the value of charity towards those in need. He goes on and he says, For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need, so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. Ordering the Christians to give everything, to give it all away, would only result in what? In them becoming poor. And then they wouldn't be able to help anyone. They would need help from everyone else. But Paul's principle stands. He says, those who are able to help should help. And if the poor Christians in Macedonia contributed to this offering, right, the poor Macedonian Christians, then those in Corinth could too. And they should. The Macedonian churches shouldn't bear this burden alone. It's only proper that the more affluent Corinthians contribute to this offering, especially, again, if the poor, struggling Macedonian church did. And in his way, as, as is his way, Paul uh, often does, he, he draws on redemptive history. He quotes from the Old Testament um, very many, many times. And he quotes here in verse 15, Exodus 16, 18. And he says, As it is written, whoever gathers much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Right, And this, course, this passage, of course, speaks to God's gracious provision of manna. You remember manna that God would send down on the Israelites during the Exodus to provide for them of his gracious love. And Paul's saying that those, those in Christ receive more than enough to provide for each other when someone is in need. And then at the end of chapter 8, the beginning of chapter 9, Paul goes on to talk about the role of Titus. Titus and the nature of this collection that's being taken. That it is to be a willing gift, not given out of fear or guilt. And then in verse 6, verses 6 to 15 of chapter 9, Paul returns to the subject of the reason why the Christians are to give charitably. And he quotes this proverb. He says, the point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Right? There is a huge blessing, you see, associated with giving to those in need. Those who give freely will receive much in return. But the much in return, contrary to what so many believe and teach is not necessarily monetary. Right? And this is again is where this passage is so misused. The promised blessing is not necessarily material. Giving freely pushes forward Christ and it produces spiritual fruit in ways that we might never think of or even realize in this life. In verse 7, Paul continues, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly, not under compulsion, 
For God loves a cheerful giver. Right? We are to give out of our abundance. We are to give freely, cheerfully. And we know that God approves and delights in this charity. We do not give to get something back from God like the pagans. We do not give because we feel guilty or coerced from the outside. We do not give to appease an angry God. We freely give simply because it is good to give. It helps those in need and it glorifies our God. And we do so in gratitude because God delights in it. God's grace delivers us from the guilt and power of sin. We in turn respond to that grace through the faith, through faith and repentance and through a desire to obey his commandments, to live for him. And then in verse 9, Paul again quotes the Old Testament. He quotes Psalm 12, 112. That's why we read it this morning. He says, as it is written, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Right In this psalm, Psalm 112, the righteous man demonstrates his righteous status before God through his concern for the poor. Likewise, in the New Covenant, the recipients of God's grace respond through charity. Right? And then in verses 10 to 11, we see how this works out in the lives of God's people. And here he's quoting Isaiah 55. He says, He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. Right? That's the enrichment. To be generous in every way which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. Right? We don't give to get, but as we give, God multiplies the effect of that giving. God gives us everything we have. And then we give, when we give back, God multiplies that giving into what Paul calls a harvest of righteousness. Right? And again, notice that the promised blessing is not material. It's not a material blessing, it's a spiritual blessing. We are enriched by God, not made rich by God. Grace transforms us. It moves us to be generous from the inside out, the Spirit working within us, hearts of love and gratitude, overflowing with thanksgiving. And the result is that God's people give cheerfully, and God multiplies what is given, and He receives the thanksgiving of His people. In verses 13 and 14, chapter 9, Paul says, by their approval of this service, right, that's the collection of the offering, they, the recipients of that charity, will glorify God because of your submission, flowing from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others, while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. This gift, you see, will confirm to the Christians in Jerusalem, that God has heard their prayers. He's a God that hears, right? And he has answered them. And the result is that everyone will glorify God. And then Paul closes, right? He closes this section, this chapter. He says in verse 15, Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. That's what's going on in the text, brothers and sisters. Unlike pagan forms of charity that are motivated by fear of an angry God or guilt from unresolved sin or from a desire to receive something we want from God, Christian charity begins with the gospel. God gave his beloved son to save us from our sins when we were his enemies and when we were rebelling against him. 
because of the cross of Christ, our guilt before God and our fear have been dealt with once and for all. Because of Christ's work for us and in us, He continues to make us more holy, more like Him, conforming us to the image of our Savior. And as He does so, He creates and He grows charity, generosity in our hearts. We begin to love our brothers and sisters, and we desire to help and serve them when necessary. Giving flows out of the gospel. And remember, God loves a cheerful giver. It is good for us to be charitable with our time, with our treasure, because it helps others who need it. It advances the cause of Christ in ways we may not see. And also our charity points an outside world to a gracious and merciful, generous God. And finally, the goal. Right? The goal of Christian charity is not material things or any other reward we might receive from God. We don't give to get. We get because He gave. Right? The ultimate goal of Christian charity is that God's people give thanks to God and He gets the glory. When we remember that Christ gave everything, everything, though rich He became poor, that we who were squalid and destitute in our sin might attain the greatest of all riches, Jesus Himself. When we remember that, we are warmed and we are stirred in our hearts and driven to reflect and in gratitude copy that Jesus in our giving for His glory. May the Holy Spirit indeed seal this deep truth into our hearts and may we remember that all we have is His. Our very lives are a result of His giving everything that we might live for Him. Indeed, thanks be to God for Jesus, His inexpressible gift. Amen. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank You and praise You for Your love and Your mercy and mostly for the gift of Jesus Christ, the gift of life won by Him. Lord, the victory over sin and death. Lord, and the freedom that comes from that, no longer bound and shackled by sin, but freed. Father, we pray that you would help us to believe this, that we are dead to sin, united to Christ, raised to walk in newness of life. Oh, Father, help us to walk in newness of life. Pray that you would continue to be with us now as we continue to worship you, and we ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. Well, thank you for tuning in this morning. Uh, if you'd like more information uh, about Providence, if you're in the greater Fort Wayne area and would like to visit us, please go to our website, providencefortwayne.org. If you'd like to give, if you were blessed by this message, if you'd like to have more information about the faith or about growing in your faith, uh, we'd love for you to get connected with us. Thank you. We've set up a simple way for you to give to our church online. If you want to give a quick gift, enter an amount, select a fund, then enter your email address and your first and last name. Then enter your payment details and click Give. And that's it. We'll send a receipt to your email address. To use a saved payment method or manage a recurring donation, you'll want to log in. Click the Login button and we'll send a code to your phone or email account. Verify the code and you're in. Now your payment info is ready to go when you want to make a donation. To manage your giving details, switch over to the My Giving page. Here you'll see more ways you can give, 
You can also add a payment method, a bank account or a debit card, set up a recurring donation, and view your giving history. To get started, visit our website or download the Church Center app in your Android or Apple App Store.